0: We're here today to give some clarity to the ULA debate. There's a lot of narratives and a lot of misinformation and a lot of confusion within even the real estate community and our own associates. So if we're confused, imagine what the community at large is. So today I'm trying to shed some light. I've done a lot of due diligence on my own with ULA and I've come to learn that it's a very challenging situation. But Keith, who's the lead, Keith Fromm's the lead attorney for one of the two lawsuits they're uh, called FightULA, fightula.com. So there's two major groups. One is Howard Jarvis, uh, who's a well known uh, advocate. Uh, and then there's Keith's group, which is also known as Newcastle. So that's the two basic groups. There's only two. Uh, we'll get into what's going on with them, pros and cons, but I first want to introduce Keith. Keith started his career uh, at Loeb and Loeb, a huge huge global law firm in real estate. Uh, He's now launched his own firm many years ago and he's been a real estate developer in LA for many years as well as brokerage for many years. So he's an all around Angelino real estate guy and he took this case on spec. So this is just a quick intro. Uh, He took this case on spec because no one else did and he'll get into it. So I'm gonna start with the first question and let you jump from there. Why did you take this on spec? And why was there only a 60-day window from when ULA passed to appeal it? So people can understand that, at least. Okay. Well,
1: as everybody knows, the ULA was a, a, a voters initiative of the uh, voters of the city of Los Angeles, and it was passed on November 8th of 2022. There is a statute called the Validation <laughs> Act, which requires anybody who wishes to challenge the validity of a public act to do so within a very strict 60-day statute of limitations. If you didn't challenge it, if you didn't file your complaint within the 60-day period, then the action, whatever it is, as unconstitutional as it may be, as illegal as it may be, is deemed to be valid and the whole public is stuck with it, okay? So on November 8th, as you know, the holiday season was coming up. We had uh, Thanksgiving coming up, then we had Christmas, then we had New Year's. And the 60-day period was expiring on January the 7th. So this thing comes up, it's horrendous, it's going to kill the whole market, it's very unfair, it violates, in my opinion, so many provisions of the US Constitution and the California Constitution. And unless somebody did something in that 60-day period, it was going to be the law forever and it was going to kill the real estate community to the tune of estimated 600 million to Uh, $1.1 billion every year ad infinitum. Terrible, terrible, terrible outcome.
0: Um, So why you? Why did you jump in within 60 days? Well, one
1: of the things, one of the things that happened was during the pandemic, I was helping out a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Costell, who's also in on this, uh, Costell and Adelson Pittsburgh. And they were doing reverse validation actions against um, the water district of Coachella. And most lawyers have never even heard of reverse validation actions. These are the actions that you file within the 60 day period to try to invalidate uh, legislation. So during the pandemic, I was helping out on these reverse validation actions and that's when I learned about them. And he had done many of them. And I said to, to Jeff, you know, this is the biggest case that there's probably ever gonna be in, in, in Los Angeles. It's huge, it's billions of dollars every year. What's the present value of a, of a billion dollars every year at infinitum, you know? It, it's a tens lot. of billions of dollars. So um, we gotta do something. And I felt that if we did it, then the real estate community would come and join us. If you build it, they will come because somebody had to do it. It's like, it's like seeing somebody, a kid crossing the road in a car coming. You don't look around to all the other bystanders and say, do you just jump in, you do it, and you worry about the consequences later. And that's what we did. We jumped in and we filed the lawsuits. I spent my Christmas holidays drafting this complaint, right. researching all the constitutional law, all the possible ways that this could be invalid and put it in a complaint so that it was filed on January 6th, the day, the day before the deadline. And we filed Uh, both in in state court and in federal court. Uh, We prefer to be in federal court, but it's not guaranteed that you get to stay. So
0: so let me just stop you there. So over the last year now, you jumped into this and you've been doing this on spec. So I've heard and read that it's been about $800,000 of time and resources, probably more. So it's going to go on for a lot more time if you decide to continue this, which is part of the informative uh, part of this piece. But before we get to that, Let's just break down the differences. Cause before you say federal state, I don't want to lose people right. in the weeds. There's two major parties fighting this. There's Howard Jarvis, who's sort of done this for a living fighting back. With, and then there's your group. Can right. you sort of break down simply the major differences yes. and why you think your fight ULA group has a much better odds of succeeding? Okay.
1: Uh, it's, it's kind of the difference between getting a vitamin C tablet and a multivitamin that has the same amount of vitamin C in it, but has 15 different uh, uh, vitamins and minerals in addition to the vitamin C. Howard Jarvis is the vitamin C tablet. They have one argument and one argument only as to why this is invalid. They decided they were going to take a rifle shot approach. They have one bullet in their gun. They're going to aim their gun for the bullseye. The bullet's going to go straight through the middle of the bullseye and they're going to win and that's it. We took more of a, uh, a much more uh, multifarious approach. We said, okay, we like Howard Jarvis's argument as well, but we see 17 other, 16 other different causes of action that have nothing to do with Howard Jarvis's argument. It, and that that it's unfair, it's in violation of equal protection, it's in violation of freedom of speech, it gives, uh, it it, uh, unlawfully uh, confers, uh, obligations on the county to collect money for the city that the county doesn't have any obligation to collect. Uh, and,
0: and so let, let's slow down because I don't want to lose you. people. Yeah. So Howard Jarvis Bullet, what, what? Let's in layman's terms, what is he okay. trying to do? With
1: Howard Jarvis's Howard Jarvis's approach is that uh, the reason the ULA came out was because there were there were three. Um, Decisions, a court of appeal decisions, and one uh, California Supreme Court decision, that basically said that Prop 13 does not apply if it's a voter's initiative. It only applies if it's legislators that are trying to pass laws or taxes that are that are in violation of Prop 13. I think everybody's familiar with Prop 13.
0: That's the freeze freeze of the property taxes.
1: And and Prop 13 prohibits. Uh, transfer taxes, okay? And so this transfer tax, if if the City of Los Angeles City Council members had tried to pass this transfer tax, this ULA transfer tax, it would clearly be unconstitutional under Prop 13, because you can't do it. But there was a Supreme Court case, California Supreme Court case, called the Cannabis case, Upland uh, uh, versus California Cannabis, uh, where the, the California Supreme Court said that Prop 13 does not apply to voter initiatives. So that gave them the idea that they're gonna do the ULA and they're gonna do what they couldn't do before. So um, Howard Jarvis came up with the argument that um, that even though this Supreme Court case said that it doesn't apply to uh it, it doesn't apply to the voters' initiative, they, they took the position that uh, the, um, the voters could not do anything more than the city council could do itself because there are four words in the city's charter that basically refer to voters' initiatives. And so Howard Jarvis took the position that these four words limited the power of the voters in the initiative, that the city, city's charter limited what even the voters initiative could do. The problem with their argument is it has been rejected by other uh, courts of appeal where they've made the exact same argument. So I think it's a clever argument. I think in a perfect world, it would probably be a winning argument. However, the counter argument that the courts of appeal have accepted and I expect will accept again, is that they said that the the right of the People's Initiative is so precious to our democracy that one has to always construe every law in favor of its validity and against its invalidity. And therefore, these four words from the city's uh, charter from 1911 uh, were not sufficiently unambiguous to rule out uh, an initiative as valuable to the public and to democracy as the ULA initiative. That's their argument. That was an argument that was accepted in a case called the um, uh, people, it was the city uh, and county of San Francisco a couple years ago. And uh, they, they made the exact same argument because the same words appeared in the San Francisco, San Francisco. charter. Okay. And so that I think is where is where the uh, uh, the the Howard Jarvis argument is going to end uh, at at the upcoming uh, hearing. Now we have made the same argument, but we made 17, 16, 17 other arguments as
0: well. So So what are some of those key arguments?
1: Some of the main main arguments are that um, it violates, uh, the ULA violates equal protection because there was a case, 1935 uh, case, uh, that says that uh, where you have a tax that is based on gross sales not income tax or not net proceeds like a like a capital gains tax where in this case you could have gross sales and lose money you know but and still get taxed There, there may be people who have no equity in their properties and they have to come up with money from nowhere to pay the ULA tax if you had somebody for example that bought their property the day before the tax and wanted to sell their property the day after their tax and all they wanted to do was get their money back, they'd end up having to pay 4% or 5.5% just to get back to where they were before. It's just strictly, it's confiscatory is really what it is. They've taken that. So, so that's one of the arguments we made that it, it violates equal protection based on that 1935 case. Uh, Another argument is that it's uh, unlawful retroactive legislation and I'm sure everybody in this room realizes and knows and knows and has clients that would never ever have bought properties in Los Angeles, perhaps to develop, perhaps to fix and flip. uh, If they knew that this thing was coming down the pike and any profit that they were going to make wasn't going to go into their pocket, it was going to go to the city of Los Angeles and maybe even more than the profit they would have made because the effect of the ULA has been to depress the values of those properties. So there is a a principle under constitutional law that you cannot do things retroactively that have a retroactive effect unless the statute was specifically intended to do that and then it had language saying that. This one doesn't have that language. So people just got stuck Uh, many people would have said, you know, if I'd known this was going to happen, I would have bought my property in Beverly Hills. I wouldn't have bought it in Los Angeles. I wouldn't have taken out that loan that I personally guaranteed for millions of dollars. If I knew at the end of the line, I was going to get screwed on this deal by some tax nobody thought of. I have, I've, I've had people call me and say, you know, I got really killed on it. I ended up having to sell it in an auction, lost a ton of money and all that because this stupid law came out and, and it blindsided me. So that's another one of the arguments. Uh, a third argument, which I think is, is um, it's kind of counterintuitive, but I think it's, it's a valid argument, is that this one violates people's freedom of speech because it prevents you from recording a deed unless you pay an enormous amount of money if you happen to fall into the ULA. You have to pay at least $200,000 and maybe millions just to record your deed. Well, your deed, it, recording a deed is a publication. It's like it's like publishing a novel. A deed has a ton of content in it. I mean, you can tell who the buyer was, who the seller was. Sometimes you can tell it was part of a Spanish land grant. You can tell uh, if it's an interspousal transfer deed, you can tell that it was a, a divorce situation. You can tell that it has reservations in it. It might have parking easements, it might have uh, oil exploration rights, it might have restrictions on acts, it might have all kinds of things. There's a lot of messages. You can write a book based on what's in a deed. So it's, it's content, it's expressive content. And when you, when you put this kind of restriction on it, uh, you are violating one's uh, right of freedom of speech. It's not just a tax on the sale of property it is a tax on the recordation of a deed, and it's preventing the recordation of a deed. Of the deed. So that was another argument that we made that I, I think, I think is a good one. I mean, I think I think if it got to the U.S. Supreme Court, they'd look at it and say, yeah, you know. And and uh, so there, a, another argument was that they've imposed this obligation and this cost and this liability on the county of Los Angeles to collect a tax that the county of Los Angeles has no legislative power or obligation to collect, to enforce, to litigate, to defend. And we sued the, the county of Los Angeles as well. And now the county of Los Angeles is having to spend county taxpayers' money to defend the ULA and they get nothing out of it. And and so we sued on behalf of the county taxpayers as well. Our clients are also county taxpayers. And so what the hell right do you have to spend our county taxpayers' money to defend a law that's, that's uh, unlawful, that's in violation of the Constitution that the county gets no benefit from. So why should the county be spending money to litigate this? Why should they be spending money to collect it? Why should they be spending money to enforce it? So that's another one of our causes of action that we've thrown in there. None of this is covered by Jarvis. Jarvis has their one bullet, their one, one shot that has already been rejected by, uh, by other courts and there's no reason to think the outcome will be different this time. I hope it is, but there's no reason to believe it will be.
0: So You've given us a handful of things but there's there's, there's 16 things. or 17 arguments. Right. We, 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 any argument good. we could
1: think of we threw it there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was that's what you do. You got your shot, you fire all those arrows and you hope one of them hits the mark or more, you know. But that's that's what we did.
0: All right. So that should give everyone some context on the different things going on. And I quickly wanted to interject at this point. You've heard that there's a hearing and we, there's multiple dates that have been rescheduled. The next one is October 23rd. There's nothing happening at this hearing. Uh, this is just the beginning and a starting point, which is also something that Keith can speak to. These things will be appealed multiple times. Multiple t- this is gonna be months and then years if it goes all the way through. Nothing's gonna be decided October 23rd.
1: Well, it, it's, it's not that nothing will be decided, but this is a long process. You, you have to understand where you're dealing with billions of dollars. The, the fight on both sides should be enormous. The real estate community should be fighting this thing to the death, really, because the labor unions certainly are, and the labor unions are the ones behind the ULA, and they're fighting for it to get all of that money, basically, for their members to supposedly build these these platinum-plated you know, uh, uh, properties for homeless people. It's really not about the homeless. It's about the labor unions versus the real estate community and
0: so we'll speak to that a little bit yeah, because well, i think everyone assumes it's for homeless and yeah, 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 affordable the, the housing Homeless
1: is just it, it's just something to tear at one's heartstrings that's how they got the votes but that's not what's really going on
0: <laughs> but also
2: wasn't there conversation that sort of contradicts the whole point of this where now it was going to be applied towards rent forgiveness
1: Yeah, they have all different kinds of things. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it it becomes very, very political once, uh, you know, the city or the or the people that were behind this get their hands on the money, then that's really it's a money grab and plain and simple. It's a money grab. They sold it as uh, the mansion tax, which which was a misnomer right away because uh, it applies to industrial buildings, to shopping centers, to office buildings, to every kind of real estate, has nothing but land, yeah, but gas stations, anything you can think of. But it was so emotionally compelling to say, It's a mansion tax, and only millionaires and billionaires who don't pay their fair share will be paying this. You won't be paying it. Millionaires and billionaires who don't pay their fair share will be paying it, so vote for this. We just need a majority, and the majority, nobody, none of you guys, you know, the voters will ever have to pay for this. You know, only the small 1% will have to pay for it, and that's- By the way, I've
0: read, done due diligence, and actually the pamphlets promoting it say, millionaires and billionaires who don't pay their fair share will pay for that. In quote, it it says that. And in some cases, there may be some mega millionaires and billionaires involved. But I think in all of the city of L.A., as we all know, uh, there are some people that that's their life savings and their family's inheritance. And uh, not that it's an insignificant amount of money, but uh, five million. But it's not necessarily going to make you you and your family a mega millionaires and 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 billionaires. you may not have any equity. And and that's not even the point. I think the point you're making is it was uh, the unions are gonna get a lot of money from this for what? For building, For, build,
1: for building things that really can't be built cheaply, uh, that will not solve the problem. There was a good article in the Sacramento Bee uh, talking about uh, nonprofits there and what it costs nonprofits to build housing for the homeless. And they were saying that like a little studio apartment built by a nonprofit using government grants and all that in Sacramento, Cost over six hundred thousand dollars to build, and, and you could buy a, a five acre ranchette in the uh, in a suburb of Sacramento with a, a house on it and you know cows and, and everything for less than six hundred thousand dollars. So that tells you, and, and somebody like a professional builder like K and and Homes or, or the builder, they can do the same thing for like less than three hundred thousand so there, it was so inefficient they have to use union labor they have to have all these different benefits to the unions or you know pension funds minimum wage for the union that, that it costs so much that it's completely dysfunctional it's simply a money grab from one group of people to another group of people playing. so
0: we're going to open it up to q a in a sec i just want to end this thank you for that information obviously not everyone will agree with Fight ULA. Not everyone will agree with ULA. I understand everyone's got different various opinions. Some people may think the Howard Jarvis argument is better and support that. Some may be, hopefully we'll see that yours is a much better argument. I think what I want to say before we get into Q&A is, just even talking to uh, some of my close associates who are the most educated and informed real estate professionals, there's such misinformation. People think that there are billionaires and institutions supporting both of, these, both of these losses, and there is not, especially Fight ULA. So if we can't get our clients and our professionals and collaborate and galvanize the real estate community, this isn't going to go on much longer. They can only go so far on it. So that's going to be a, another discussion for another day with fundraising and options, uh, but really wanted more today to be about educational. So other than that, is there anything you want to end with? We'll, we'll open it up to you. I, I do want to say that,
1: that, that it has been, um, so far, it has been a project that has been financed, essentially, by myself and by my colleague, Jeff Costell, and not so much by the real estate community. And frankly, it's been a disappointment to us that a lot of people think, well, it's taken care of. You know, We don't need to do anything. It's all taken care of. We're protected. Somebody else is fighting for us nobody is fighting for you except us that's yeah. it and that's if, and, and if we run out of we run out of gas you're done you your clients the the, the commercial buildings the everybody is done we're we're out there we i feel like the ukrainians you know we're out there fighting <laughs> fighting you know for you fighting for our lives fighting for the lives of the real estate community and and we need your help. We need the help of your clients. We need all of your help to spread the word, to, to, to raise some money for that. We expect it'll cost to get through the trials uh, about $3 million. And so far, my, you know, Jeff Costello and I have laid about a million dollars out of, in terms of our labor and, and other hard costs. We can't keep doing it. And on top of that, we don't really have any motivation. It's not just our fight, I, you know, we don't own Billions of dollars worth of buildings that we're going to save any money on, you know.
0: So fight ULA versus City of LA yeah. is like Putin in the oil arts going after Ukraine. That's a <laughs> I like the analogy. Now, now it's, one, it's irony, one
1: irony. One irony One irony is that 20 years ago, I had uh, two lawsuits against the City of Pacifica, having to do with uh, constitutional issues, just like just like these. Okay. And I, I won the trials in both of them, one in state court and one in federal court. And the lawyer that happened to be on the other side of those two cases, lo and behold, this is like one of those movie ironies, is the same as the head lawyer that's representing the city on this one. Um, yeah. So I have beaten him before. I can beat him again, <laughs> <laughs> but I need your help.
0: <laughs> I'll also say the city has you know, several large law firms and multi-million, millions and millions of dollars supporting this. Um, so, and it's him and his partner that are fighting for it. And Yeah,
1: and, uh, but we can, we can win it. I mean, I, you know, look, the other side of it, people keep saying, I've, I've heard from other people that they've seen a podcast or something that says, oh, on October 23rd, it's all done. The verdict comes out it's all taken care of. No, this is a long fight. Billions of dollars are involved. Whoever loses any step of the way is going to appeal it. The only time this thing is going to be over, unless we run out of money, is, and that is a very near future, a good possible chance, but uh, assuming we didn't, the only time this is going to end is when the U.S. Supreme Court either decides to take the case and decides the case or decides not to take the case, and whoever uh, won before that ends up being the winner. That's it.
0: So and this could go on for so this is going to go on.
1: This is going to go on if, for, if for it's several. Acceptable. It's going to go on for several years, no matter what happens. So uh, on on October twenty third, what the uh, the other side a few things have happened. Uh, the city uh, has moved for judgment on the pleadings. It's basically they're saying that even if everything in the pleadings is true, then we haven't stated any cause of action. That all of our cause of action are, are nonsense. They're not legally valid. We're fighting that, of course. Howard Jarvis filed uh, their motion for judgment on the pleadings saying that their one argument is valid and the ULA should be declared invalid based on their one argument. So I think that what's going to happen on October 23rd is either Howard Jarvis is either gonna win or they're gonna get knocked out and then they're done. I think they're gonna get knocked out and then they'll be done and I'm hoping that, I mean, I expect maybe some of our arguments will get knocked out, uh, but I'm hoping some of them don't. And if they don't, uh, if if even one of them survives, then we're the only game in town. And we are the only thing standing in the way of the ULA being law forever and the real estate community being completely screwed from now until forever.
0: So quickly, we'll get into Q&A. I just ran an MLS uh, search, sales over $5 and I didn't I didn't do any serious scrutiny here, but there was about 200 sales since April 1st. Uh, This is only in the MLS, so this isn't gonna be most commercial stuff at all. It's really no commercial stuff. And it was about $2 billion. Uh, But I mean, at least 200 200 transactions, 400 agents were involved. Who knows, but I would say there's gotta be 500 to 1,000 agents that are selling properties, at least one each year. I don't know, you probably would know better, but it's worth $5 million or more. There's a lot of people that can benefit uh, including all the people in LA that own properties uh, that will be impacted by this it's, so hopefully uh, if you divide that up by hundreds of thousands of people it's a small contribution but this isn't about fundraising so if there's any questions open it up uh first of all thank you for all you are doing super grateful and i'll be more than happy to get any mail and help with you know thank clients you. fundraising because it's it's incredible you're stroking a check for three million you said <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh you said out, damn we don't want five
2: you. but <laughs>
1: Uh, what is the chance that anybody's going to get their money back if you are able to overturn it their the money back in terms of the, the ones supposedly the ones ones that that
0: form, they put it in that
1: yeah uh, i tell me the ones that already paid the ULA yes. tax uh,
0: yes well if, if we if we win they'll
1: get their money back they will so that's yeah uh, well they still have to have done a few things that they may not be aware of one is they have to have made their claim against the city within a uh, one year period because if they haven't done that then even if it's declared to be invalid they won't plan. get their money back so oh, everyone, everyone needs to you? tell <laughs> her, yeah, to tell them to make their claims and what yeah, i would suggest that they do as
0: one year from the sale i assume from the close it's, it's one year from the time so everyone has an opportunity to contact their yeah, right. clients and tell them that
1: and, and tell them when they're doing the um, um the claim form uh, attach a copy of our of our complaint so you know what are your grounds for for claiming that uh uh, you're entitled to get your money back, so these are our grants, you
0: know? And I have a complaint, I, I, if anyone wants it, I can email you the actual official complaint. And I know
1: it's, a, it's 4% versus a half percent, but has anybody
2: done the math on how much transfer tax they've lost by not having these houses sell? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I
0: mean, they, they... You could probably do the math, roughly. Oh. Uh, I don't know that they've... Uh... Uh, put it this way, this is rough cowboy math. In the MLS, which doesn't cover commercial, it said $2 billion of sales we know roughly we're down about 50% volume, cowboy math. So let's call it $4 billion would have normally. So $2 billion on the, what'd you say is the, what's transfer tax? 5.000, Five, so it's like half a point. Yeah, the- so that's a half point on 2 billion uh, what I can't do the math right no, now no it's a, it's a, it's well and the, that's the just ULA is a, the ULA
1: is a lot more than what the, yeah. than what the yeah. transfer tax of course the other thing the the other unintended consequence of this tax has been that the county taxes are getting screwed mm-hmm. because whereas you would have uh, uh, reassessments on sales of say a, a big shopping center or a big office building or you know something like a 200 million dollar building Beyond the uh, the and and maybe that was being carried at Thirty million dollars because it had been transferred last time twenty years ago. Uh, now the county is not getting those those bumps yeah. in taxes, so so they are losing on their revenue stream. It puts their own bonded indebtedness into some kind of jeopardy. Once again, the county is getting screwed by the ULA tax, well, and that's another reason we're saying bleacher. this is this is not fair.
0: The whole ecosystem, yeah. if you think about yeah. the real estate ecosystem, all the jobs and revenues driven by all vendors, services, all everyone, and the taxes everyone pays, mean, yes. the math, it's not good calculus. There's yet another
1: problem. And the problem is, if the city gets away with this ULA, the county is planning on doing a 5% ULA.
0: So, meaning they're going to do two taxes? Two, two. So it'll now be ten and a
1: half percent. <laughs>
0: so, talk. What do you mean by that? Because everyone obviously is startled. Yeah. Is it meaning because of this situation, yeah. other counties are now saying we should do this?
1: All throughout the country, Chicago's doing it, San Diego's doing it. This has been the latest thing for, for uh, municipalities to, to latch onto. It's a great source of revenue. And it
0: started, at, and it, well, started. Like, it
1: basically started here. It started it, in San Francisco, too, to Hanlon. Yeah. And, and now it's it's spread out. So this is the latest trend and we have to stop it. We have to, you know, because otherwise it goes everywhere. It just, can you imagine, you is bad enough, but can you imagine if 10% off the top had to go in taxes? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's, uh, uh, lenders won't lend. Los Angeles become a pariah. So
2: do you have a point in there for multi year because now all the numbers
1: are off. Yeah. So we
2: can't sell anything because right. the income is there. They weren't able to increase the rents in two and a half to right. years. Yeah. And now if they
1: wanna sell, um, the numbers are off. Totally, and that's one of the arguments we made. That has to do with our retroactive argument that we're saying, look, uh, the investors invested right. based investment. upon Certain cap rates based upon certain uh, uh, income, based upon uh, uh, certain uh, IRRs that they were going to get when properties were ultimately sold and and these were going to be the gross proceeds they got or the net proceeds. They didn't figure in having to give this kind of tax. It screws all the numbers up. The lenders made their loans based upon those assumptions as well. They're not coming back in. They don't want to be in this area. What's gonna happen if the county comes in? They don't want to to lend and take those risks. They're not, they didn't charge for those risks. And so it it kills us in so many different ways. And if we don't stop it now, it will just be a contagion that wrecks the real estate community over the entire country. Are you saying that you think the process will eventually escalate to the Supreme Court and it will end at the Supreme Court uh, being deemed either constitutional or unconstitutional? I'm saying that there's enough money at stake in this, and if we're supported, you know, if we're supported, we'll take it all the way. I mean, and either the Supreme Court will take the case or the Supreme Court will refuse to take the case, in which case the court beneath the Supreme Court's ruling will be the the final ruling. But yeah, it's certainly enough involved that you would want to take it as far as possible. And then the second question is, once that is, if it is deemed unconstitutional or it uh, it is shot down, then you expect a, a large case with all the homeowners who have been victimized by this going back to the city or the county requesting you know soon for their money back well That's, i think you know, that, uh, that. The, the first step is i mean what we've asked for essentially is a declaration that says that it was invalid and that they should disgorge themselves of all the money they took from from the people. return it. return it so uh that that just leads to the process as to whether everybody made their claims in time under the year statute so uh, if everyone made their claims in time under the year statute and we were to win and it was held to be invalid then by the uh redress that we have asked for in our action the city would have to give the money back Um, There there is a form for it Uh, there. um, There's a there's a a form the city, you know, has a form for um, uh, refunds. You know, it's basically I get questions over here.
0: Knowing this will go on for years. Well, years. I think it's two to three years guesstimate yeah. if it went all the way. Guestimate. In the meantime, are they able to spend the money
1: they're collecting? They, you know, they, they are allowed to spend it. They have decided. It's interesting. Initially, uh, the I guess it was the city controller mm-hmm. or one of the people <coughs> in the finance department there said, "Look, um, maybe you shouldn't spend this money because you might have to give it back and you might not have it." Right. So we recommend you kind of hold on to it. So what uh, Karen Bass has decided to do is she said that, well, I think we can comfortably spend $125 million a year because we get federal grants and we get some other stuff, too. So if we had to give the money back, we'd have other sources to do it. So they're, but they're taking about $125 million a year right now out of the ULA funds. to.
0: And that was, I think, to your point that I've read that, that- Right now, it's going to rent. Yeah, a it's, it's different, it. you know, yeah. pet programs, whatever. Yeah.
2: Another question I have, um, you know, if you're saying that you only need two to three million dollars, and you're saying that we're down, you know, by about two billion in sales volume year over year since this was implemented, why would firms such as Compass, Compass, Douglas, Element, etc., not be backing you guys? You
1: know, it's a damn good question. We've been we've been making the rounds. And it just what we get a lot is people saying, "Well, you know, we think it's, you know, you're doing a great job. Keep up doing God's work. You know, God bless you." And uh, you know, we're right there, but don't expect us to give you any money. You know, and and that's been very very frustrating. But
2: wouldn't us. that also constitute like almost a charitable donation if they're donating to your cause?
1: Well, sadly, it's probably a might lot be more of more Association of Realtors though, in CAR. C-A-R. Good example, we went to CAR, and and I would urge you to do this, because we went to CAR, we spoke to their top people, we gave them all the stuff and everything, they they reviewed it, and they decided in their infinite wisdom that they were gonna contribute zero dollars. And I think that the people that pay them their dues, people like you, members of the CAR should be petitioning them saying, look, we pay you dues, you are to be representing our interests, you are to be defending us, you are to be Absolutely. helping us, and you're not willing to put in one cent to help this lawsuit that may be the only thing that stands in the way of this ULA. Yeah. I think you guys should all be petitioning the C-A-R. Do, and say, we'll Do you have
2: a Tuesday website or something? We,
1: some uh, we have uh, fightula.com. Fightula.com. And the resources
2: and addresses to whoever you recommend we take action to or list uh,
1: Well, right now it's a CAR, but I mean, we, we could start putting things on there. I mean, like for brokers, because we know that you guys are members of the, of the CAR. We should do that. But, but to, your, to your point. And the local associations. Yeah. yeah to your to point. More, to get more to your point, out to It was incredibly disappointing that they decided in their infinite wisdom that it was worth zero dollars to, to this fight. It, zero dollars. Nothing. Not one cent. So, um, yeah, we've had that problem. Now we've had uh, support, some support from BOMA, the Building Office uh, Management Association, which is like the largest association of uh, commercial office building owners in the world, basically. And, they, and they, are, they have pledged, you know, not a huge amount of money, but at least some, and, and their endorsement as well. well that so, makes sense. yeah, that was very recent. So we're kind of hopeful that maybe that will encourage some of these. The
0: point of, for me, the motivation behind this was to start to alert people that, hey, the time is now. We're now at the two minute mark of the fourth quarter. This is it. If we don't get behind this and get support, they're going to run out of gunpowder and we're done. There's no fight. And this isn't. A guarantee that he's going to win. This is a very challenging situation. Getting tax laws changed—you mm-hmm. uh, ask any lawyer or anybody—it's it's, a—it's a—it's a huge battle. But we might as well go with our best chance.
1: Um, so I was just wondering. Thank you for the information. I'm sure all of us have clients have houses that are valued over five million dollars. Um, the question is, what actionable steps can we take as agents? maybe like an email or something of like what we can do is it a petition, how do
0: we start fundraising, is it door knocking and asking people to sign a petition? So I think we should probably get, figure out how to contact the CAR. I'm going to be organizing some fundraisers that will be, it probably won't happen until after October 23rd, because they're going to be tied up. So it'll probably be in early November. There's also at fightula.com, you can get behind it and donate right there. But I think we probably need to be contacting CAR, all the local boards. I'll organize that.
1: Plus, the people that you know that have had to pay this ULA. Tax. Sure, anyone's client. Because I mean, if they want to get that money back, this is it. This is their only chance to do it, basically. You know, I mean, if Jarvis wins or we win, that's their only chance to do it. So I know there's there are plenty of people. Look, they're starting ante for people who've paid the ULA tax is $200,000. That's the minimum. Yeah. Some of them have paid millions of dollars. If they wanna get those millions of dollars back, help us to help them. Basically, that's the thing. You know, if somebody put in, if they lost a couple, you know, couple million dollars in the ULA tax, it'd certainly be worth chasing it with a couple hundred thousand, try to get it back. But anyway. I think, uh, from my experience, we need a grant letter from the organization that we can all get addresses to, okay. and
2: sign it as a unified letter. Uh, two, I think it would be great if we brought uh, a title company to give us all of the people that are practice by this, and send them uh, letters in support of supporting you. Uh, happy to gather some volunteers to do this. It's Please? Easy to find a. So uh and then the worst case scenario, maybe also set up a meeting with other offices and brokerages uh, with our board, are our, our we have that option who is the president of us. We've arranged a unified uh, group of agents' and offices to meet with the board. And if they're unwilling to listen to us, I am very uh, interested.
0: Well, come talk to me after this, but that'd be wonderful. Any help we can get, because I can't do it myself, uh, and he can't do it himself. We
2: understand the legal fight that's being done on it, and like Monique was alluding to, it's more so the messaging, right? So the highest inventory of multi-million-dollar properties are already in independent municipalities that are protected, right? Beverly Hills, I understand Bel Air and Brentwood, and all that. But how do we fight the messaging standpoint of? Uh, the city of LA of getting those residents on our side. You said it best. There was a problem with messaging, just saying that it's from the mansion, from the millionaires and billionaires. So what's being done on the side of messaging? Because I think that's the biggest front. It's not people in Beverly Hills that you're going to get on your side, is Del Rey, right. Culver City. How do you get the city of LA, people that are actually voting? And I think that's the biggest front for the messaging.
1: Well, I think that from our standpoint, I mean, we're, more focused on the legal
0: part. they're not in the message that's our job i didn't know who's i didn't know if there's
2: a firm or something that you guys are connected with no. in terms of the fight on the messaging side no because the, the messaging the side the
1: unfortunately side. isn't going to help us i mean it's the, the the messaging that we're getting across is to the courts that it's invalid that it's unconstitutional it's not really a political message we're, we're making that's a different thing and that's a very hard it's a very hard message to get across frankly because for the same reason that the ULA passed. It was a very compelling message. Millionaires and billionaires do not pay their fair share. You won't have to pay a penny, make this 1% solve our homeless problem. That's a very compelling argument. How do you argue against that? It was wrong, it was a lie, but it was very compelling and they got 57% of the vote. So I think from a political point of view, it's a difficult. I think you know to to say, look, it's all a bunch of lies. That it wasn't just millionaires and billionaires. It wasn't just mansions. And there are a lot of people that are selling properties that don't have any equity in them or lost all their equity to the city of this, or that. You know, the the fix and flippers, the the, the house builders, a whole bunch of other
0: ones. So I think an answer to you is there's a humongous billion dollar PR machine behind the city. This PR machine is him and Jim, and now I'm trying to help. So if yeah. every person here could spread it to, if they believe in it and agree with it, you know, go tell your 10, 20, 50 close people, right. any other agents. I mean, we have thousands of agents. And, and get on <laughs>
1: press and get on, you know, get on uh, social media, get, you know, spread the word. Like
0: Organic, and, uh, you know, our guerrilla marketing and getting the word out and really the big Arvis thing is- Jarvis gets
2: knocked team. out like you assume they might, would yeah. there be sort of, you know, an internal fusion where you guys work together to push it forward?
1: No. Um, Jarvis is, they have their own approach. Uh, they, they've based their own fundraising on their issue. I think the, uh, the cases have been consolidated so that they're all tried at the same time. And we did file a brief in support of, of Jarvis's position, basically to say if they got kicked out on, on that one issue, here's a couple other issues they could amend their complaint to join in on. But, but they, they seem to be pretty focused on their own program. They, I don't think they really, look at us as as being helpful to to what they're trying to do Uh, to a certain degree uh, there's a a a bit of competition in terms of the fundraising because if somebody pays money to one of the legal funds it's money they don't have for the other one so jarvis i think has been trying to persuade people that their silver bullet is the winning approach and not to spend any money on anything else we feel that we've got jarvis's silver bullet in our in our uh, revolver as well, but we have a whole bunch of other bullets in addition to that. And so we think that, that people should be supporting our, our lawsuit.
0: Another question from a very special guest, Dave Ravitz, the best man at my wedding, and Lauren Ravitz, who sent me up with my wife. Very special.
1: Uh, hello. Uh,
2: in terms of potential client getting their money back if, if, when you win the lawsuit, you know, there's been situations where you know, instead of the seller paying this yearly like tax, the buyer pays the tax and the purchase price is reduced accordingly. It, the seller benefit, you know, it, it, is it the buyer? The seller? Who, who well, is, I mean, who's filling that
1: claim for? Those are interesting, interesting questions. I mean, I, you know, if I were, if, if I were a person who felt that they paid the tax, I would make a claim, no matter what the situation is, and let it be sorted out later on down the line. The right. buyer they, officially paid for it, but it's really a seller cost. Yeah, on. yeah, I mean, um, that's the way i would do it i would i'd fire my claim off and if the city disputes it at that point then you said you say look this was just really an indirect way of having to pay that somebody had to pay it It got paid and you have to give it back and we'll decide how it gets split are- yeah well they might but pay, they, <laughs> they pay money. back once and that's it yeah. they, they might say you guys work it out here's the money back and to take you back on this question,
2: where, as before, a lot of back channeling of these closing costs in advance
1: to get the purchase price reduced was done, even more so now it's at the forefront where we're seeing transactions trade at significantly lower numbers right. because of this. Right. Where does that fall into the lawsuit on the comps and just the, I mean, something just happened today that was shocking. But how does that play into the argument being made of, this is you know, ruining the cops. Yeah, well, one of the arguments that we made, one of the arguments that we made in our complaint was that the very existence of this unconstitutional and illegal tax had the effect of reducing the property value of the properties that would be affected by it. And it clearly does. And that uh, as uh, there's two kinds of challenges, there's a facial challenge to the validity of, of uh, tax, and then it's what's called an as applied challenge. So if you are a person who has been personally affected by this tax in the way that we've just discussed, then you could file your own lawsuit. You know, and uh, it's not based just on what we're doing, but you're saying, you might use all the same causes of action, but saying, I, I got hurt by the two of 10 million dollars or whatever it is, because of this invalid law. I mean, and we could help people with that. Okay. I, I, either one, well, I was one. just okay. gonna say, my understanding is the federal courts are saying that it's not the proper venue to argue that
2: it's unconstitutional. So I'm wondering like how are you how are you battling
1: them? Yeah. We had um, we had filed the action, as I said, in both state and federal court, and the federal court uh, decided, uh, when I say the federal court, it was the, the district court, which is the lowest court in the federal system, uh, decided uh, based on a three prong test, uh, that uh, this is a case that should be argued in state court they didn't they didn't rule on the merits. Um, we feel that they made a mistake that they clearly made a mistake on the third prong. And they might have made a mistake on the first prong too. But we got one prong, they got two prongs, we think it should have been the other way around, at least if we didn't get all three. So we are appealing it to the Ninth circuit. And that's and that's what's going to happen. With that. But, Mike, uh, just a follow up to that is, my understanding is they say that the federal courts wouldn't be the proper venue, because that's where justice goes to come, right? So, I mean. No, I think that this, the the ruling was based on something called the Tax Injunction Act, okay? Um, And what the Tax Injunction Act, it's a federal uh, statute that says, if you are challenging a state tax, uh, you cannot do it in federal court. However, the definition of what a state tax is, depends upon a three-pronged test. It's called the Dark Brothers test. Now that some time has passed and
2: we've seen that sellers are resistant to sell and that the volume at five and 10 million is way down, I'm just curious, has the city had any willingness to negotiate
1: or change their
2: position? Are they just doubling down hard and feel like People will sell eventually yeah.
1: and we'll get their money. They feel like this is the long haul. They're saying that sooner or later people die, people get divorced, people uh, have family formations, people have family dissolutions, people have, they want to move, they, they, they get transferred, whatever it is, that over a period of infinity, things will go back to uh, the normal Process of people buying and selling houses, and so it doesn't matter what happens now. Doesn't matter happen next year, two years from now, maybe even five years from now, they're going to get their money. It seems
2: like if they
0: lower their percentage, it would be well. I I think. That's uh, logic. Yeah, I think a lot of in terms of logic, a lot of people have said, "Well, we already have transfer tax. Why didn't they just increase it a little and spread it out over everyone?" But anyway, it's not about. We that's not an option at this point.
2: You know where I mean like
0: very much but do you know where our
1: mayor stands on this specifically she wants the money <laughs> yeah <laughs> as much as she can get i mean you yeah know,
2: the the homeless thing is
1: you know it's probably going to make or break her next campaign, so. yeah uh, look it's so much of it is for show really it, it, this isn't going to solve the homeless problem i know it, i know it's all yeah. you know yeah. any other questions yeah. um is there anything you know about this new judge that like, Oh, the, the judge. The or not, and mm-hmm. very yeah, um, th- we didn't we didn't find anything about her that we felt we should object to, okay? This is so political. there's so much money at stake. Things go on behind the scenes that didn't smell right. I mean, I, I don't know if you were following this, the, the selection of the judges but I, I know we spoke about this a little bit before, but I'll tell you a little bit about it. Um, we initially, we had this judge uh, and it took a lot of maneuvering. We had to do related cases and all that, bring our case in with Jarvis to be. finally get before this judge. It was a, a judge named Curtis Kin, who was a judge of Korean descent, immigrant uh, family from Orange County, um, a Republican property rights kind of a guy Went to USC, went to Stanford Law, was on the TV show Big Brother, so we liked the limelight. We thought he was the perfect judge for us. I mean, we we and were happy. We were happy business. to have him. Okay. okay. So we thought yeah. at the at the trial level we couldn't do any better than this guy. And then mysteriously, they just decided to move him. They transferred him right out of the case. And so who did they bring in? Well, just, just to let you know, like the, the unions in this case who are backing the ULA are represented by the law firm, Irel and Manila, which is a very good law firm, big law firm. And so who do they bring in as the next judge, but a judge who spent his entire career at Irel and Manila, who was a partner of the head uh, uh, lawyer for the case. They'd done 25 cases together. They'd written books together. They had, you know, they, they were best buddies. And, and, and so at that point, we, we didn't have any more peremptory challenges, but I've, I've said stuff in the newspaper, I said, you know, come on, <laughs> this this does not look fair, you know, why not put one of the IRL guys up on the bench and let him decide the case? So, um, uh, they, you know, but even with the publicity, the, the judge still didn't disqualify himself. You know, I, I said, look, I don't know anything about this judge, he could be the most impartial guy in the world, but the appearance of this really stinks. You take away, a a property rights judge, you put in a judge that came from the law firm on the other side, doesn't look good. Stinks, absolutely stinks. It stinks of political, you know, stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Anyway, the Jarvis people still had a a peremptory challenge left. So what they did was they they sent in something, they said, look, we're challenging it based on the appearance, it doesn't look like, it it doesn't have the appearance of of, uh, impartiality, but if the judge won't recuse himself, we ask him to recuse himself, but if he doesn't recuse himself, we're gonna exercise our peremptory challenge. So he's gone anyway. So you have, the judge has a choice. He can either go gracefully and look like he's going and doing the ethical thing, or he can go the other way, and, you know, he's, but he's still going. So anyway, the judge did you know did the ethical thing and he recused himself and that was it. So he, so he left. And then we got this other judge now, her name is Barbara Shepherd. And um, she, from what I can see, she's a very tough judge. She's very, very strict, strict constructionist. She went to Notre Dame uh, law school and um, she was a US prosecutor. She did work for the city of Los Angeles, which we would have thought was not necessarily a plus, but she worked in the inspector general's department for the police department. So like she would have been the one that would oversee police misconduct and in settlements for police misconduct. So we thought, well, she doesn't look at uh, you know, at the city with rose colored glasses. She could see that city people can do bad things. So we didn't uh, we didn't see a reason particularly to to try to get her disqualified. So hope she's gonna be good. She's a judge right now. First of all, thank you for doing that work on the judge because mm-hmm. I
2: worked on a case for four and a half years and I have to tell you it all came down to the judge. And then when we got the woman judge it was an our benefit so may, may, may that be the case here. i hope so yeah um uh, my question is in new york as you know they we were just talking about this they have something similar how do you feel your case compares to then of course in san francisco you know it,
1: it, it was upheld that they had to pay this so how do you feel we're doing comparatively uh, so uh, i i'm sorry it's your question Vis-a-vis New York or vis-a-vis San Francisco? Well, let's
2: start with San Francisco. Because New York, it's already, you know, that's part yeah. of, I think, the challenge with our brokerage here yeah. is that they're saying, you know, it passed in New York, eventually, you know, I think it's six to seven years it passed in San Francisco. So, how can we feel that our this case view is different?
1: Well, for one thing, I mean, we're making different arguments that were never made uh, before. Um, there were cases in San Francisco, for example. Um, they, you know, they've, well, I don't want to get into the weeds of it, but, but the bottom line is we're making arguments that were not made in those cases. And, um, and as far as New York is concerned, and New York law is concerned, I mean, I couldn't even comment on that, I just don't want to a New York law. But as far as the San Francisco thing was concerned, we're making arguments that are, uh, that haven't been made, that were not made in those, so hopefully they, they will resonate.
0: And it's going to be a battle. Yeah, it, it's yeah. challenging to do this. No matter if they get $5 million, it's going to be challenging.
1: And to your point, maybe in
2: New York, they didn't fight to support people such as yourself enough. You know? And maybe this is where we do have to call the arms. And the arms. I, I
1: think we, we do. Like one thing that um, you know, organized labor, by definition, is organized. Mm-hmm. They were planning this for a long time. They organized to do it. The real estate community which includes industrial buildings and shopping centers and hotels and farmers and, and residential agents and all different kinds of people who all have the, 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 common interest in not having this ULA. They did not, they did not get together. They did not organize. And so they rammed it through. And, and I know a lot of people when the ULA came out said they were shocked. Like, Where is this? Where, where'd this come from? Well, you know, why, why didn't we do anything to stop it? And now, that, you know, now that fight was lost. Now this is the only fight we got left. And I'm saying, organize, organize. Real estate guys, organize.
0: So I wanna thank you for coming and spending your time. If you have more questions, you can find him or reach out to him. Thank you all for your questions. I will get uh, more organized after October 23rd and send out information, but you can always feel free to contact me and go to Fight ULA to find more about ULA. what they're doing. And thank you. That was awesome. Yeah. Thanks thank for you. thanks thank
1: for being here. You. Appreciate I am what I am today I did it. My